So today we're going to carry on our series looking at Jesus' stories. And when Mark asked me what passage would I like to look at, so we were given pretty much free reign um, to look at any of the Jesus stories. It didn't take me too long to decide what I was going to do. Now, I'm not one for artwork. Um, I, don't really, I don't really have a lot of artwork, but I have two um, pictures that hang above my desk in my office. Um, one is um, one that my kids did, so I'm kind of obliged to have it there. Um, and the second one is this one, which um, I wanted to show you today because it really sums up today's um, parable. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And this one hangs above my office. It has been out of my office a little bit recently because I lent it to one of the youth that I just really felt needed a daily reminder of the the heart of God um, and the fatherhood of God. So I lent him this painting um, so that he this picture so that he could have it in his room for a while. Um, but now it is back um, and it will go back above my desk. And I need that. Um, I need to constantly be reminded of the Father. Of, um, and this story, as we unpack today, um, hopefully you'll see how much that means to me, the story, um, and then the significance of that picture as well. Now, also today, we are, we are very aware that um, God wants to meet people for the first time. So after the um, service, there's going to be an opportunity that if you don't call yourself a Christian, if you've never taken that step to say, Jesus, I want you in my life, um, and Chris explained a lot of what that means today as we looked at communion, and there's going to be an opportunity for you to come forward and, and just stand at the front and say, hey, God, I, I need you. Um, and again, as I go through today's talk, I'll explain a little bit more about what that means. But just so you're aware, that may, that may happen. It may be a little bit awkward. You may have to come down from the balcony. You may have to ask people to move um, that's in the road. But um, God, if he, if he wants to meet you today, um, we want you to take that opportunity. Okay, so today, as I said, we're going to be looking at the prodigal son, um, and we're going to, as we look at the Bible, we're going to see that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we have done, when we come to God our Father, He welcomes us. There is total forgiveness with God, our Heavenly Father, and we, we are good enough to be called sons and daughters of God. So today's reading is going to be from Luke, and we're going to read from chapter 15, verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to that, or Hannah's going to pop that up on the screen for us as well. So um, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach Um, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, 
and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, I have, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now as we read today's story, you will have noticed that it's about a father and he has two sons. And the younger son went up to his father and said, I want my inheritance. I want um, what is due to me as though you were dead. And as I looked into the significance of this, I noticed that actually what the son was saying um, was his, um, he wanted everything that his father had for him at that moment, even though his father was still alive. So his father would have given him land, he would have given him probably some cash, and he would have given him livestock. Now for the son to take all of that money, he would have had to have sold the land, sold the cattle, um, so that he had enough money that he could then go. And what that would have done is that would have actually been quite shameful for the father. Because back in Bible times, the more land you had, the more cattle you had, the more wealthy you were, and the more important you were. So for the father to give up a portion of his land, to have it sold off along with his cattle, would have been devastating for the father. The community would have looked around and, and looked down on the father for doing that. Because basically the son, and I'm paraphrasing in this, was saying, Dad, I want you dead, I want your money, and I'm going to go. And that is pretty, 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 um, pretty shameful for the father while he's still alive. I think any father that heard that would be pretty devastated. Um, but that's what the son did. He sold everything up, he took the money, and he left. So the son then, um, as we read in the story, he went and he lived um, a, a party life, as it were. He had everything he wanted. He spent all his money. He had friends um, while he had money. And then all of a sudden, he hit rock bottom. He had nothing. He'd spent all his money. His friends had left him. He had no one. He had nothing. And he was feeding pigs. Now, what's even more surprising in this is that actually, for him as a Jewish person to be um, feeding pigs would have been looked down upon by those people that Jesus was telling the story to. They would have known that the animals were unclean, therefore making the sun unclean. They would have known that people in, in their community, they didn't have anything to do with pigs because they were unclean, unholy animals. So for Jesus to say that, the people listening would have been appalled that the son had got to that point. But what it did emphasize was how rock bottom that guy had actually got to, that point where it was so low that he even went to an unholy place, um, and that's where he, he found himself. Now, sometimes we may, we may look back on our lives, and we may have been in that place where we're at complete rock bottom. We may feel like we're there right now, but as we look at today's passage, there is hope. There is hope in Jesus. Um, and I hope today that that will be very clear. See, 
as we read the passage, the son had this almost revelation moment where he came to his senses. So verse 17 um, says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. See, there he was. He was looking at his circumstances and he realized that actually his circumstances were not great. Anyone could have told him that. But it took him time to get to that point where he realized for himself that his circumstances were not good. And he decided he would go back to his father and he would be one of their servants. Because as he looked at his life, he realized that actually the servants that his father had were way better off than he was in that situation. So he got up and he went. And as he went, he rehearsed this speech he was going to say. I've been there when I'm going to have awkward conversations, or I know they're going to be difficult. You practice through what you're going to say, don't you? So you, I, I sit there thinking, I'm going to say this, they're going to say that, I will say the other. We, we do that, don't we? And we see that in this passage. The son is saying, I'm going to say to dad, I've done wrong against you and against heaven. And I'm really sorry for that. Please make me one of your servants. So he practiced his speech as he went along. He knew... Um, that he needed help. And actually for him, he was in a really hard place. For him to admit that he needed help after he had spent everything that his father had given him to go back to his father, he was at the lowest of lows, but he knew at that point that he needed his father to help him. So the son got up and he left. Now, what I want to look at um, with you today is how the father reacted in this. Now, remember, when I went back to, when we, when we looked at the fact that the father divided the estate, etc., there would have been this shame that would be put on him, um, maybe from himself, but maybe also from the community as well. And what I want to do is unpack the events that happen in this story, and I want us to see how regardless of the things that we do wrong, um, or um, the things that we, um, that we find, places we find ourselves in, God still loves us and God still wants us back. And it's the same that we see in the father and the son in today's story. Now, as I prepared this talk, I know for me, it really kind of highlighted um, my parenting. My son was sat in the first service over there with my wife. And, um, and as I was talking, um, and I looked at him and I thought, actually, how do I parent him? Do I parent like the father in this story? Or do I parent in a different way um, that is much harsher? And this week, as, as my wife and I have discussed this story, it's been like this massive spotlight on, on us as parents um, and looking at the father in heaven and how he treats us and also how we treat our children. Now, one of the things that I love about this story is just there's so much detail in such of the, some of the small statements. So turn with me to um, verse 20, um, and we read, um, so the son is, um, has realized that he needs to go, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. See, the father saw the son returning. 
He saw the sun coming from a long way off. Now, potentially, the sun was walking slowly. He was, he was, maybe he was carrying that shame, and he was thinking, and thinking it all through, and he wasn't happy, and, and his whole posture and the way that he was walking potentially showed that and how low he was. Yet when the father saw him, the father had so much love for him and compassion for him, the father ran to him. How often when someone does something wrong to us, do we wait for them to come back to us? Do we say, actually, I'm not going to go and speak to that person. I'm going to wait for them to come crawling back to me. How often do we do that? Yet in this story, the father sees the son a long way off and he runs to him. Now there's greater significance to this because we said earlier that the, the father had land, he had cattle, he had, he had livestock, he was a wealthy man. So for the father to run to his son, to run anywhere, would have been undignified, would not have been the done thing for somebody of such importance in the community. But again, it's a reflection on the compassion and the love that the father has for his son. As I started to look at this passage a little bit um, more, I, I discovered something else that I never knew before. As the father saw the son coming, he ran to him for another reason. The reason being that as the son approached the village, the town, whatever, wherever they were living, the community would have come out. The community would have seen him, knowing what he had done and the shame he had brought on his family. They would have held insults at him. They would have thrown rubbish at him. They would have piled more shame on him. Um, than he was already carrying. So the father saw the son and he ran to him because he did not want his son that he loved to be shamed anymore. He wanted to protect his son so that his son would not be devastated by the community reaction. He wanted to be the first one that got to him before the community. And actually, as we look at God... That is God's reaction to us. There are so many times in my life when I've messed up, when I've done something wrong. And my biggest fear so often is how will people respond to me? What will people think when I turn back up at church or when I go to my friend's house? What will they think of me? But yet, if I had had a greater understanding of this passage... I would see that actually the Father runs to me in those moments. The Father is there protecting me. And the opinions and the, and the things that people say around me almost fall into insignificance. And actually, thinking about it, church should be the safest place that we can come to. It should be the place that we know that we are loved. And actually, if anybody walks through those doors and doesn't feel that, then we've done something wrong, haven't we, church? Because I want us all to be like the Father, first to greet the person, first to be there to love the person, because we are family. Sometimes, I say, we do worry about, about that, but God loves us so much that he is there with us. And it's such an amazing picture to think that God is protecting us all the time, regardless of what we have done. So the father ran. 
Next, the father threw his arms around him. The father embraced him. So the father knew that he had done wrong. He knew that he had sinned, um, he had messed up. But the father threw his arms around the son. It wasn't a British hug. It wasn't an appropriate side hug. It was a full-on embrace. He wanted the son to know how much he'd loved him. As he looked at the son, he would have seen how unclean he was. He would have seen how dirty he was. He may have even known that he'd been with pigs, but the father didn't care about that. For the father to have touched the son with the son being, um, had been working with the pigs, it would have also made the father unclean. Yet the father didn't care. The father needed to embrace his son to show his son love and compassion. The father was showing forgiveness. Many years ago when I became a Christian, my my eyes were opened um, and I realized that as God looks at me, he sees me for who I am and he doesn't see the mess around my life. He sees me, he loves me for who I am. Because the mess that's around my life will change the more I get to know him. John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement in the US, said, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. See, God loves you and I as we are. And the more we spend time with him, the more we sit in his presence, the more we get to know him, the more we will be changed by him. But first of all, we are accepted and loved by him. So the father embraced him. Next, the father kissed him. Again, massively significant. This shows how welcome the son was, that he was forgiven um, so much that the father kissed him. It was, a, it was a sign of love. And again, this is a perfect picture of how much God loves us. Even though we do things wrong, even though we mess up, the father in this story showed mercy to his son. The dictionary describes, um, um, defines mercy as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. Now, the father had every right to punish his son. He had every right to discipline him because he had wronged him. But the father didn't, did he? The father embraced him. The father ran to him. The father kissed him. Matthew Henry writes, The father saw him a long way off with his eyes of mercy. The father ran to him with feet of mercy. The father threw his arms around him with arms of mercy. And the father kissed him with lips of mercy. And what I love about that is that all of those actions, there is mercy in it, showing actually the father could have disciplined, but the father loved and the father embraced. Now, even though the son had been shown forgiveness, he still needed that time to confess. And and we read back in verse um, 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, the father knew that he had sinned. The father had already forgiven him and he demonstrated that in running to him and embracing him and in kissing him. Yet, the son still needed to confess Um, to use a biblical word, um, to repent, to turn around and say, actually, I'm sorry for those things that I have done. I've messed up. And actually, it's exactly the same for us, isn't it? We have all messed up. We have all done something wrong. And we deserve that punishment for those things that we have done wrong. Yet, it is already paid for. Because as we were taking communion earlier, um, 
Chris was explaining how Jesus died on the cross so that we can know forgiveness. We can be forgiven for those things that we have done wrong. So it has already been forgiven, but we need to take that step and go to the Father and say, Father, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. And it's still in that confession that there is so much power. Um, And like the son, he had to confess and ask for the forgiveness, even though the father had already forgiven him. And there's another beautiful picture of God. And look back with me at verse 18. It says, um, so this is the son. Remember, he's with the pigs, and he is thinking about his life circumstances. And he says, I will sit down and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Now, when we jump forward again into verse 21, it says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it stops there. See, the father didn't let him finish his speech. He didn't let him go on to say, I want to be one of your servants, to add that condemnation to him, to make him feel even worse than he was already feeling. He didn't let him ask to be a servant. Why? Because the father so quickly shows, actually, you are my son. You are my son. You are my son. And with God, it's the same with us. See, we are forgiven. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And sometimes we may feel like there is shame and condemnation on us, but God says no. God says no to that. He says, I want freedom in your life. See, God doesn't look at me and says, Kev, I know you've been bad, so you are going to be one of my servants. You are going to be one of my slaves in the kingdom. God says no to that. When I became a Christian, God says, Kev, I love you, I love you, I love you, I forgive you, and I love you. You are my son. And that is why I truly think that in this passage, the father didn't allow the son to ask to be a servant Because he was saying, no, you are a son. And we see that in the actions of the father that follow. The father then reinstates his son. The father, um, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. See, the father saw that the son was in rags. He saw that he was dirty, that he was unclean, um, and he had so much compassion and love for his son that he said to his servants, quickly do this. Get the best robe for my son. Any clothes would have done. Any clothes would have been better than what the son was wearing. But the best robe in the house that would probably have been reserved for the father was given to him. It was a garment that was for a great man, was given to the son. See, the Bible tells us that when we become Christians, um, when we turn to God, God clothes us in righteousness. We are clothed in Christ, it talks about. God gives us the best. He gave us his one and only son so that we may know him. So the father puts the best robe on the son. Then he puts a ring on his finger. What's the significance of that? Well, the ring would have had a family coat of arms on it. It would have been a symbol of the family. It showed that the son was again part of the family. And um, the the ring also showed that um, he had wealth, um, that he was important. The ring showed that he had power. So for the father to get a ring and get it put on his son's finger, he said, actually, you are part of my family again. 
even though the inheritance that he had taken and he had um, completely um, lost, he said, I'm going to give it back to you. Even though you have messed up, you are back in my family and I want to give you your inheritance again. And when we become Christians, God metaphorically puts a ring on our finger and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and all that I have is yours. We partake in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, the son came back barefoot. Um, The father saw that um, his feet were sore and the father put sandals on his feet to make it easy for his son to give him um, a sense of peace because the journey that he had just walked was hard. The journey without the father, without being part of the family was hard. Yet the father was saying, I'm going to put sandals on your feet to give you that ease, to give you that peace because you are part of my family. And as I, as I reflected on that this week, I found it actually quite challenging because I thought actually, if we have the peace of God, um, life isn't always peaceful. And, and I was struggling with this concept, and as I reflected more about it, um, I remembered hearing something on peace before, and I remembered that I'd done a talk on it, so I thought, well, why don't I remind myself of what I actually said? Um, so I looked back at my notes, um, and this is what I said. We were talking about peace. It was in the Blessing series. It says, um, that all very, um, that's all very well, but it's not the peace that God talks about. Biblical peace is different. Um, The Hebrew word possibly familiar to everyone is shalom. In its purest sense, shalom means peace. The um, the connotation here is positive. Um, So when someone says shalom or peace unto you, it doesn't mean I hope you don't get into trouble and life is, is, is perfect for you. It means I hope you have the highest good coming your way. See, biblical peace doesn't, is, um, it doesn't matter on our circumstances. It doesn't matter about our happiness. But actually, biblical peace is the goodness of God coming our way. So put that into this setting. What does that mean for the son and the father? What the father was saying by putting the sandals on his feet, he was saying, I want the best for you. I want the goodness of God to come your way. I'm putting sandals on your feet. And in each and every one of these, it just shows how much God wants the best for you and I. He wants the best for his sons and daughters. Verse 23, um, the father kills the fattened calf. It says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The son was hungry. He hadn't eaten properly for ages. And the father didn't just feed him. He feasted with him. The fattened calf would have been saved for something really special, for something um, really important, for a massive celebration. See, cold meat, basic grain would have sufficed for the son. He would have been overjoyed that he had food in his stomach and he had something to eat. But the father said, that is not good enough for my son. That is not good enough for my son. I will kill the fattened calf that we have been saving. Why? Verse 24 tells us, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son was lost, but now found. See, when we become a Christian and we turn back to Christ, we go from being lost to being found. And again, that whole picture of communion, isn't it? That's what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross so that we may know his total forgiveness. We may know God's 
forgiveness. And as we look at this, this wasn't a feast that was for the son, it was a feast for the family. The family feasted together. One of the greatest joys that we have as a church and, and, um, and often the privilege of being on the staff team as we hear about this more than others is when people become Christians, when people go from being lost to being found. Now, when, um, when um, it happens, and most weeks we will either we'll get an email or in staff meeting or something, then we'll kind of tell us um, if people have become Christians or when we're chatting around the coffee machine, we'll find out. And there is celebration throughout this place because we are excited that people are going from lost to being found, that people are becoming part of the kingdom of God, that people are knowing Jesus personally for themselves. And there is whooping and there is clapping and there is joy within us because as a family, we celebrate. But not only we celebrate, the Bible tells us that the whole of heaven celebrates when one person turns to Jesus, when one person finds Jesus The heavenly hosts celebrate as well, along with us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And as they do, I said earlier that I would actually give an opportunity for those, for anybody that actually is in that place where maybe they're feeling a bit lost. Maybe um, you've never taken that step to become a Christian, to accept Jesus, to say, actually, I need Jesus in this moment. And we want to give you that opportunity today because there is no greater decision in our lives than that of turning to Jesus. And what I want to do is, as I say, as, as we worship, if you're sitting there and thinking, I want to know the Father, I want to be embraced by the Father, to be kissed by the Father, to be clothed by the Father, to have a ring on my finger to show that I'm part of the family, to have the sandals of biblical peace on my feet. If that's you, I want you to do something really brave. As we worship, I want you to come to the front. And I want you to stand here. And we're going to get some of the prayer team to come and stand down here. And I'm going to stand right here as well so that people don't feel on their own. And we want you to take that opportunity in this moment to say, I want Jesus. Now, as I said earlier, it may be awkward. You may have to come down from the balcony. You may have to move past people in your row. But if you're worried, take somebody with you. Take your whole row with you. Just come to the front because there is no greater decision than knowing Jesus. But one thing that we do know is actually as you start to slowly move out of your chair, what is Father doing? He is running towards you. He is running to meet you, to embrace you, to love you. Because Father loves you so much. So please, please, please don't leave today without having come forward and get, got prayer and, and actually making that decision. My life now is going to be for Jesus. I'm going to pray. And if you feel that's you, I want you to come forward. And then we're going to worship. Father God, I want to thank you that you love us so much. I want to thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we can know the Father in heaven. And I pray that today, for those of us that are sat here that need you, that need your embrace, that need your love, that need your compassion, I pray for those people that are feeling lost and need to be found, that as you are running towards them, that they would walk out and stand for you, knowing that you love them so much. 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen.